this is Farmland. Coming up, Michael Hanley, the CEO of Lakeland Dairies, is here to discuss the merging of Lakeland Dairies and Lackpatrick Dairies. Eamor McGuinness, the General Manager of Donegal Co-op Livestock Mart, and Ray Doyle, the Livestock Services Executive at ICOS, will outline their concerns on the rising cost of Mart insurance. Pierce Kelly, the Head of Drystock Knowledge Transfer at Chagask, will be here to discuss the launch of Phase 2 of the Chagask Green Acres Dairy Calf to Beef Programme, of which Agriland is the newly announced media partner. But first, our reporter Sylvester Phelan travelled to Cavan and Monaghan to talk to Lakeland and Lackpatrick dairy suppliers on the New Deal. Following on from the news last month that Lakeland Dairies and Lackpatrick Dairies are to merge into one co-op under the Lakeland banner, Agriland asked suppliers from both co-ops what their thoughts are on the matter and how they feel about the merger going forward. Thomas Rogers is a Lakeland Dairies supplier from Carnans, County Cavan. He gave his reaction and thoughts on the matter to us. The first talks about the Lakeland was a surprise that Lakeland was going, going, going down that route of a merger. But I suppose it was, look, look scary in the beginning. The war out there, there was a lot of debt and a lot of borrowings and a very badly run place. But the region committee met, the Lakeland region committee met, which I'm a member of, and when they went through the whole figures was teased out, it's, it wasn't as bad as the story was. The debt is not that big. And the overall picture with Lakelands and Lakelands performance and track record over the years, I can see no problems. And I say too as well that there's a few new products in the mix, which I think will help Lakelands basket of products, which should take the help to balance the the, the price of milk and keep the milk price at a level a bit level on it is. It shouldn't be as so volatile. So with that I I'd be hoping there now that but it will take time. And I suppose there is big savings. If you look at the maps where Lakeland is and Lepatic's milk, milk platform is, the map, there's bound to be savings made in, in cartage and rationalisation, which should, at the end of the day, cut the, cut the could produce more money for the farmer. You'd be hoping that the cost base would be reduced and that it should help the price of milk in the long term. The merger is the way forward. And like, like the savings, in, in, a buyout has to be paid. If you have a merger there, you can put you put a cost in the buyout. I'd be hoping that the merger, that the money is saved in the merger, will benefit the farmer in the long term. I, th- th- I don't think the merger is going to affect milk price. People will say it will. Like ma- global markets is going to affect milk price, and at the moment there's a lot of product about, and there's... now it's not looking what you call real good for next year. But the amount of product that's floating about, like, and I suppose it's. You'd be hoping that with the merger that they be, the cost base would be reduced and that maybe it's some of this get more milk down that value added chain and hopefully take that volatile air powder, which is the big powder and butter. Milk price is going to be under pressure. Volume is going to be there. Unless there's control and volume and the environmental things come in, I suppose. What do you do? The environmental issues there, I suppose, produce more and everyone's trying to produce more. But more is not heavy. You know, if you have more volume and a less and less price, like it's what you want, a better price and maybe stabilise the, the volume and get into a value. A value add, the value adder who's the way to go. Big is, is, is all right, but I think there has to be a margin. Whether you're making 100 cows or 500 cows, if you haven't a margin for yourself, it's no, no good. 
Thomas said he supports the merger and believes it will bring savings in the long run. Transport is probably one thing that there's crisscrossing on transport there, like, and that there has to be savings made there. Like, two lorries going down the one road to lift, to lift two different suppliers. There has to be savings there. I know them savings won't, won't come, they should come back to the farm. They'll not come back initially. But over time, when, 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 it's, when it all pans out, that I think that Lakeland's cost base will reduce for, for, producing, for producing the product. And the lower their cost base is, the, the more they can be able to pass back to the, to the, to the, the primary producer. We also spoke to Brian Trainer, a Lackpatrick supplier in Emmyvale, County Monaghan. He gave his views on the merger. Initially, it was a bit of a surprise um, that that Lackpatrick was financially in some kind of straits that we didn't realise or didn't didn't we didn't really realise that we were as close uh, to a financial sort of crisis as, as as we were. That happened pretty quickly. But I think the board, in fairness to them, made a decision that in the circumstances, they quickly decided that we should enter into talks with a view to merging with with some neighbouring co-op. So while it was a bit of a surprise at the very start, I think the right decision was made. And I, on balance, was happy enough to go that way. Of course, there's concerns in a merger. I mean, we've... We've come through the process of a merge with Bally Roshane. Uh We thought we were going the right direction, and I do think we were going the right direction. But uh, unfortunately, um, I suppose we invested too heavily at one, just at the one time, and it became a bridge too far for us. And I suppose the concern would be that something similar could happen again um, with the new merger. Hopefully not. Uh, Lakeland has a fairly strong track record of merges and um, and and getting bigger uh, successfully and uh, hopefully hopefully that this can happen again because I do think that Lackpatrick is still a good company uh, with a lot to offer to the new merged entity. I suppose the other the, 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 the downside of it is that when you become part of a very big company well then uh, you know governance and decision-making and all of that kind of thing becomes more remote from the individual farmer. Brian noted that, during the Lackpatrick supplier consultation meetings on the merger, farmers expressed disappointment in how things had gone for the co-op. However, once these feelings had been vented, there was a realisation that the merger was the right thing to do, he said. Asked if he believes the merger will affect his farm and his milk price, Brian was optimistic. Well, I mean, I would hope that it will positively. I would hope it will positively. I don't see any reason why it should negatively if it's a success. I mean, obviously, there has been a process of um, consolidation within the dairy industry in Ireland for going back a number of years. And I think farmers would have even been in favour of a level of consolidation there in order to take out duplication uh, and to bring greater efficiencies to the industry uh, and at the end of the day that that would translate into better milk prices at farm level and I would hope that that will be I would hope that the new merged entity should be able to uh, generate greater efficiencies and 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 so translate a better milk price to the farmer. We're joined by CEO of Lakeland Dairies 
Michael Hanley to talk about the Lakeland Lackpatrick merger. Michael, thank you very much for joining us. First off, Michael, why was the Lackpatrick merger a, a tempting up acquisition for you? Well, first of all, Claire, it's, it's a, a merger uh, of the two businesses. It's a merger of the Lackpatrick business plus the old Lakeland business into a new company called Lakeland Dairies. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it now, uh, once the merger goes through uh, and once it's agreed by the competition authorities, the milk pool will be approximately 1.8 billion litres of milk. So it'll be a quite a large uh, milk pool. It'll be the second largest uh, milk pool on the island of Ireland. So that will drive a lot of synergies uh, a lot of cost savings, a lot of efficiencies, and it should help sustain a higher milk price for uh, both Lakeland farmers and like Patrick farmers out into the future. What are the benefits for Lakeland suppliers? Well, for Lakeland suppliers, they're now part of a, a much larger milk processing operation, uh, which drives efficiency. Uh, secondly, uh, in facilities on their own. Secondly, in relation to milk collection, there's a lot of overlap between uh, Lakeland suppliers and Lackpatrick suppliers, both in Southern Ireland and particularly in Northern Ireland. So there's scope for efficiency and cost savings there. Uh, and then from a, a volume point of view, from a customer point of view, it gives access to customers of a large milk pool and, and uh, a wide portfolio of dairy products. It gives access to a larger number of markets. Lakeland currently serve over 80 markets across the world. So it expands on that and it gives more product and product availability and a wider portfolio of products to all the customers uh, of the combined business going forward. Uh, and what customers are looking for is they're looking for, A, they're looking for efficiency, they're looking for sustainability uh, for business, so they're looking for scale in there, and then they're looking for a portfolio of products uh, that, that they can serve their customers with out into the future. So where do you see the synergies between Lakeland dairies and Lackpatrick dairies? Well, there's a synergy straight away in, in meat collection, okay, an overlap in meat collection. There's a synergy in relation to uh, volumes of product going through particular plants. Uh, and as you know, the strategy that Lakeland has had over the years has always been to sweat the assets, drive the volumes through uh, because there are customers out the other side. So there are significant synergies. And then with the wider portfolio of products, uh, there's greater acceptability and attractiveness of the Lakeland business and the new Lakeland business of the combined business to a wider portfolio and a wider number of customers across the world. So there's a lot of advantages there uh, for, 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 for Lakeland milk suppliers and for the customers and for all the stakeholders of the business. Was it a good deal? Look, at I think it's it's it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, this should have happened possibly 25, 30 years ago. Uh, but uh, better late than never. Uh, you know, the, the, the combined businesses of the, 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 the Lakeland and the Lackpatrick business is gives scale. It, uh, it, it, put Lake, it puts Lakeland on the map uh, for customers in, you know, most of the product is sold out of the country. So you're talking about the Asia, African, uh, American markets uh, and the attractiveness of smaller businesses versus large businesses for, you know, the likes of Asia, where there's 1.2, 1.3 billion people to be fed. You need scale to be able to satisfy those particular markets. What about taking on Lackpatrick's debt? Is that manageable, Michael? Yeah, the Lackpatrick debt is the core debt there of, of about 28 million euros. Uh, and it's it's very manageable. 
Um, uh, there's also working capital requirements in there as well. And all those figures have been shared with uh, all the shareholders of, of Lakeland and of Lake Patrick. So the financial figures are out there in the open uh, and uh, the debt is, is, is uh, uh, we're very comfortable with the level of debt that, that the, the new entity will be taking on. Uh, there'll be working capital requirements in there as well. And uh, the other piece that's that's currently happening in the business is the Lake Patrick business in the first half of the year has not been making money. It has been losing money. So we have shared that with our shareholders and our farmers and we're aware of that. So we have now to change that and we have to drive efficiencies in the business and to run uh, run the business differently to the way it has been run in the past. What about rationalisation of the business, Michael? Will there be job losses? We're not saying there's going to be job losses. We're not saying there's not going to be job losses. What we are saying is we're going to run the business in an efficient manner. We're going to run it in a sustainable manner. We're going to sweat the assets. We're going to invest in the pieces of the business that are going to make a return for Lakeland farmers and for the milk price. So what our goal is to pay as much as we can for every litre of milk. To do that, we have to run an efficient business and uh, we will do that. We have done that historically and we'll do that with the new entity. You know, there's a number of sites uh, there's, uh, there's pros and cons and there's advantages and disadvantages of some of the operations uh, that, will, that, that, that are there. Uh, so it will be up to us as, as, as a management team and as a board to run that business as, as efficiently as we can, sweat those assets and pay as much as we can for every litre of milk uh, to the milk suppliers who will be supplying milk to Lakeland Dairies. And is there any Lackpatrick plant that could be particularly vulnerable there? Look, at, uh, uh, we, we will evaluate everything on a truly open basis. Uh, you know, uh, Lackpatrick has a, has a strong uh, record of performance over the years. It's, it's, it's an old co-op, it has a long history. Uh, you know, but driving forward, you know, it's, it's all about the future. It's all about milk price. It's all about the sustainability of milk price. Uh, and, uh, you know, areas that are performing, performing, we will invest in areas that are performing, areas that are not performing, we won't be investing in areas that are not performing. Our goal, we're a co-op, our goal is to pay as much as we can for the raw material to all our milk suppliers and to all our shareholders in the business and we will be doing that. In the days just after the announcement, there was a delay on the September payments to Lackpatrick suppliers. Can you just shed any light, Michael, on what happened there? Yeah, no, we're aware that there was there was there was, there was a hiccup somewhere along the lines. I suppose there was a lot of activity in relation to the merger and the merger vote, which was very strongly supported over 95% and 97% of both sets of shareholders. So I said there was a lot of activity in there. Uh, and look at Claire at this stage, all Lakeland farmers, or sorry, all Lackpatrick farmers have been paid for their milk and uh, everybody has been paid in the system. So whatever hiccup was there has been freed up at this stage. And Michael, will the Lackpatrick plants remain or will there be a level of consolidation? We, everything is, 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 is up for, for evaluation. Uh, you know, you, you go back to the efficiency piece, you know, as a, as a management team, as a board of directors in the business, we are charged with driving and running an efficient operation. Uh, and and uh, every, you know, any business uh, or portfolio of products that's making a contribution, uh, then, the, you know, that would be good. And, 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 and likewise, on the other side of that is something that's taken away from that or reducing milk price, uh, you know, will be taking no prisoners inside of the new business. And obviously, Lakeland is involved in infant formulas and, and uh, dairy proteins. Where do you see the potential, the most potential going forward? 
look, we have a wide portfolio of products. We, we, we service a lot of customers all over the world. So we're not talking about going into those markets. We're already in those markets. The issue for us and the fear we have had over the last number of years is, would we have enough product to service those particular markets. Uh, so I think overall, it's about driving the efficiency, doing what we are doing, doing that better, making it more efficient, putting more product through, uh, saving on your costs, uh, and being able to return as much as possible for every litre of milk while reinvesting in the business. So in relation to particular sites or activities, you know, everything is 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 up for discussion. Everything will be evaluated and uh, we will, you know, we will be we'll be doing what we're supposed to do, and that is to run the business as efficiently as we possibly can. Where do you see milk price going over the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, look, I suppose milk price hinges around milk volumes. Uh, so the supply and demand piece, and supply seems to, at this moment in time, particularly for the last two to three months, has, has outpaced uh, the demand side. Uh, we were disappointing that oil prices, uh, which have almost doubled in the last 12 months, uh, that oil prices haven't uh, helped on the milk price side of it as of yet. So you're looking at extra milk supply uh, coming on the market. Demand is, has been subdued, uh, whether it's the American, Chinese uh, issues or, and trade wars. But for, for whatever reason, you're looking at extra supply. Demand has tapered off. Uh, and there's a surplus of supply in the likes of New Zealand, in the likes of Ireland, as we currently stand for the last two months in particular, um, and, uh, uh, and, and in America, a growing volume of milk. So currently, supply is outpacing demand, and uh, uh, dairy markets are under pressure. Butter prices have, you know, uh, have fallen from approximately 6,000 euros back to 4,000 euros, uh, and skim uh, for... Uh, skim milk powder is still two centiliter under intervention with 200,000 tons of product still in intervention. So there's no shortage of dairy product out there and the extra supply of milk that's coming on the market at the moment from the various countries is uh, contributing to an oversupply situation. And how do you engage then with Lakeland suppliers on volatility? Well, in volatility, we have a number of fixed price schemes uh, going back over the last number of years and farmers are in maybe year one, year two or year three of those particular schemes. So, uh, you know, uh, we, we offer fixed price contracts, uh, but you need a willing customer on the other side uh, to lock in to a, a, a fixed price for the farmer. So on an ongoing basis, we offer fixed price schemes to farmer. Some of them are attractive, some of them are not attractive. It depends on what circumstances the farmer finds himself in. You know, is he heavily borrowed, is he not, is he starting up as a new entrant, etc. But it's a voluntary decision by farmers to either lock into a fixed price contract or to not lock in. Do you see further consolidation in the market, Michael? Where do you see that coming from? Look, at, from a Lakeland point of view, we've done more consolidating than most. Uh, you know, historically, uh, four or five entities now have combined into the Lakeland, uh, into the Lakeland business, uh, and there'll be ongoing consolidation. But from a Lakeland point of view, you know, our goal now is to consolidate uh, the Lackpatrick and the Lakeland business to drive the efficiencies in there um, and to return as much as we can for every litre of milk and to run that business as efficiently as possible and to sweat the assets. Our strategy has been to sweat the assets and to get as much out of those assets as possible. And then let's see where the consolidation piece leads us to. And Brexit, just six months out from it, some people might say the, the merger decision was a, was a brave move. Can you outline your logic, Michael, at this, the timing of it? 
Yeah, I, I suppose uh, when we spoke of of Lackpatrick and 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 the advantages and the synergies, the one big synergy uh, and 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 the one big positive with with, with uh, Lackpatrick and the merger of Lakeland is the Brexit uh, issue. Uh, it gives us fantastic. Uh, safety net in relation to and a hedge against whatever comes out of Brexit because uh, we have a lot of our milk in Northern Ireland uh, so now we have a lot of facilities in Northern Ireland as well so regardless how the Brexit pendulum uh, swings uh, we will be able to handle milk and maximise the equation for our farmers so from a Brexit point of view the the merger of Lake Dairies and Lake Patrick uh, that's that's one of a, one of the tremendous advantages that that comes from the merger itself. In relation to Brexit, uh, look at anybody. Uh, you know, is it going to be a hard Brexit? Is it going to be a soft Brexit? What's the definition of those? Uh, from a Lakeland point of view, you know, we're in reasonable shape. We have facilities in both jurisdictions. We have markets. You know, the UK is one market for us. Uh, we have seventy nine or eighty other markets all over the world. Uh, so, you know, with our facilities in Northern Ireland and our facilities in Southern Ireland and our customers in the various markets all over the world, we should be able to maximise the equation to take as much as possible and take advantage of. Uh, and reduce the disadvantages of whatever comes out of Brexit. And do you envisage further Lakeland acquisitions in the UK? Uh, look, at, at the moment, we'll be concentrating on consolidating and taking the efficiencies out of the new merged entity, which is the largest, second largest milk processor on the island of Ireland. So we have, uh, you know, we have work to do there. Uh, the Lackpatrick business is not making money, it's losing money currently uh, and there are borrowings and we're well aware of those and we've shared those with our farmers. So the goal is to turn you know, the losses back into profits, uh, to drive the efficiencies, to return a strong milk price to farmers, consolidate the business and to continue to grow uh, the Lakeland business going forward. Is there a difference, Michael, between northern suppliers and southern suppliers for Lakeland and would you be concerned about losing any suppliers in the process? No, well, they're all great suppliers. Uh, we love milk suppliers, um, regardless whether from Northern Ireland or from Southern Ireland. Uh, historically, yeah, there is a risk we could lose suppliers. Look, at if you don't perform in your business, why should farmers supply you their milk? Uh, so there's always the risk of, of losing milk suppliers. But from a Lakeland perspective, our track record is of losing very few milk suppliers. We've consolidated the Fane Valley business into Lakeland. and We, we lost three or four suppliers out of 240. Uh, so, uh, you know, our track record is of gaining milk suppliers. We've added on new entrants. Uh, approximately 200 new entrants have come into our business in the last four to five years. So all the time, if you perform, you won't lose milk suppliers and it's up to us to perform. And if we don't perform and we don't pay a sustainable milk price and be competitive and, and run the business efficiently, then we don't deserve to have any suppliers. Michael, and right now it has the merger hasn't been approved just yet. Can you just outline the next steps? Well, the next steps is there's uh, competition authorities both north and south from northern, uh, sorry, southern Ireland uh, and then northern Ireland stroke UK. So uh, uh, that uh, application, those applications have been made and uh, the competition authorities will rule on those over the next uh, two to three months. Uh, but we're confident that uh, early in the new year, uh, that the, the merger will be approved by both competition authorities, both in Southern Ireland and in, in the UK. Thanks very much, Michael. We'll leave it there. Thank you, Claire. Next, um, we're looking at Mart Insurance. Even though Marts are improving safety standards, insurance costs are on the rise. And Niall Claffey has this report. 
There are approximately 80 marts in Ireland. Over the last 18 months, livestock marts, the length and breadth of the country, have witnessed large increases in insurance premiums, with some mart operators concerned that the mounting costs will threaten the sustainability of their rural businesses. However, insurance companies view marts as having a significant exposure to injury to either mart employees or members of the public. It is understood that the main reason behind these insurance hikes is public liability claims. It must be noted there are some marts that have had huge increases in premiums without a single claim being lodged. Last April, a serious accident at Mohill Mart focused the industry to act on improving health and safety practices at marts nationwide. Certain marts pen cattle for a period of time to allow farmers an allocated time frame when they could view animals prior to the sale. In addition, a number of marts have, in recent years, installed overhead walkways to allow farmers to examine cattle from a height in an effort to eliminate the possibility of an accident while cattle are being moved to their pens. On one side, it has been hailed as a step forward with regards to health and safety. But on the other hand, there are concerns of how exactly potential buyers are able to view livestock prior to the sale. Due to financial constraints and profit margins, primarily being consumed by insurance hikes, marts, and particularly smaller operations, will be unable to roll out its spets of measures such as overhead walkways or CCTV cameras. The restriction of farmers' access to certain mart areas in the interest of health and safety is something that insurance companies have been seeking in recent years, yet premiums have still gone up. Insurance hikes are one of the biggest challenges facing marts around the country and some marts are at risk of closure. If these premium hikes continue, how can some marts that are struggling to break even stay operational? We're joined now by Emer McGuinness, General Manager of Donegal Co-op Livestock Mart and Ray Doyle, Livestock Services Executive at ICOS. Thank you both very much for joining us. Emer, on the Mart Insurance side, you recently carried out some research over a three-year period uh, between 2015 and 2018 on about 10 Marts to, yes. to analyse where their insurance, insurance costs are at. What findings did you come across? Um, we, there was an increase from about, ranging from them from about 46% up to 255%. Now, um, we thought initially that was down to claims and claims over the last five years. Um, but the more we looked into it, Marts were contacting us that had increases that had no claims. So um, I suppose that led us to the Public Finance Committee and we wanted to see, and there's just, Marts can't afford it. Um, it's just skyrocketing. It's um, like I know with our own insurance, we moved from 7,000 and we're now at, I think it's 13,000, 12 or 13,000. There's other marts have moved from 7,000. Everybody would have been around that range. I know when we have smaller marts probably in Donegal and some of the bigger marts around the country, but um, we all would have moved from that and some of them have gone up to 22,000. Um, another mart was telling me he was 14. Now he's asked for 28,000. He has no claims history. So um, it's just marts can't afford it. And there's so much more coming on marts at the minute. Um, so how you have to, all sorts of courses, health and safety. Um, Marts are 50 years old, so we're all the time trying to do work and keep the mart right and safe for people as they're going in every day. So we can't afford this added cost. And um, I think another thing that kind of would have, uh, well, we kind of seen as well when we were looking at it, the, the insurance companies have a tendency to settle claims because it's more cost effective. And while we understand that, at the end of the day, the marts are going to pay for that. So that'd be 
that, I suppose, was my findings initially. And what I had asked from the Public Finance Committee and why we were brought before it, and FBD was brought in, that would be the main insurance company for the marts. Um, what, why are these costs? We'd like to see why they're increasing. They um, claim it's because of claims and um, they're making no money from them. Well, that's fine, but why can't we see this information? The Public Finance Committee did ask them to give this information into them. And to this day, I was speaking to Pierce Doherty last week, just before we came up here, and they have not done so. So, Ray, can I bring you in there? Um, Emer has touched on a few possible reasons for the increase in, in insurance costs. What do you see as the main reason behind the drastic hikes? Well, it's just been outlined there. The costs of, of insurance are simply being passed on to the marks because the cost of claims. So you have numerous issues uh, and parameters that's leading into this. The cost of claims in Ireland are seriously out of kilter with the rest of Europe and most definitely across the water with England. For example, uh, a typical maybe injury in, in marks is maybe a broken leg or a broken arm. A broken leg in England will, will yield probably about 6,000 sterling to maybe somebody who has had that accident. In Ireland here, it's indefinite. Um, that same injury could cost four or five times that. And that, that is ultimately the issue. When it gets into the judicial system and the system of the claim, the level of claims in Ireland are extremely high compared to um, our neighbours. So the problem we have in the marts is, is actually the claims, when they get from the marts and the accident happening out into the system, the claims level is very high. Uh, Eamor has touched on the fact that the FPD and other insurers, you know, they, they, they tend to settle very quickly. But the problem from the marts point of view is we're getting an increasingly difficult to, to defend livestock mixing in, in a completely ad hoc way with members of the public. And when you go to court with that particular situation and you have livestock mixing uh, with no regard to health and safety with, with, the, with, the, with the injured party, the judges in many, many of these cases have no concept of a mark, they have no concept of agriculture, and they simply look at it as, as, as you are being negligent by allowing animals to simply uh, mix with people. So that is one of the, and it's, it's, this, it's multifaceted this problem. So at one end, we have the risk of the accident happening in the mart, which is what we're trying to achieve now by the measures that have been put in place uh, since the very bad accident in Mohol there some months ago, and perhaps more recently, the death in Clogher, even though it's in Northern Ireland, still on the island of Ireland. We have to reduce the risk of the accident happening because what's out of our hands is the actual awards. Now, the Alliance for Insurance Reform has done a lot of good work and we have met Minister Darcy ourselves to see can we actually get the level of awards dropped uh, or to, to some way uh, more sustainable levels because if the awards drop, our ultimate premiums drop. Um, Emer touched on it there that marks that have had no claims have had their insurance rates rise. Yes, because that's the way insurance works. We've all seen that you know, Hurricane Katrina or some uh, major event happens across the globe, we all get hit with higher insurance bills even though it's nothing to do with us and we've never had a claim. So the mart as, as a particular insurance pot is being affected by some marts having more claims than others. And hence the, I suppose, the development of the, the, the shutdown, for want of a better phrase, in some marts in the west of the country in particular. This was led by Arevo, but a lot of the Roscommon marts, etc., now have their intakes shut down. It is spreading slowly throughout the rest of the country because it's the only way to really reduce the risk of the accident happening. Because once the accident happens, and it gets into the system, we are powerless to actually the level of claim that's awarded and ultimately powerless to the actual level of premium that's put back onto us as a sector. What about the level of cost involved in improving safety procedures in 
marts. Obviously, safety is paramount to marts, um, animals and, and people uh, interacting. There's a huge level of risk and that's what the insurance companies um, are, keep pointing that out. Uh, but in terms of the level of cost involved um, in, on that side for marts as well. It's extremely restrictive and prohibitive. Some of the smaller marts would struggle actually to actually shut down their, their intakes because, for example, putting up an overhead walkway, you get no change of 100,000 euros for a, re a reasonably sort of a, a medium-sized mart. For a lot of marts, especially this year that's gone by in 2018, um, you know, they're struggling to break even because of the drop in throughput. Um, and therefore, putting in the infrastructure as a cost to overcome their insurance challenges is going to be a juggling act for them. But ultimately, the sector itself cannot afford the level of premiums that's there. Emer's correct, we cannot afford that. But the only way we're going to actually minimise that or to afford it is to actually put in capital investment or investment with people. Because again, reducing the interaction of, of people and livestock is the ultimate core of this solution for us. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to spend hundreds of thousands in infrastructure. It could mean we may have to make, bring on more staff to actually reduce the, number, the challenge of the public with the livestock. So there's lots of small solutions that can be enacted. They all cost money. And, and a sector that's struggling to break money and make money uh, uh, reasonable profits, it's always going to be a challenge. But I would con contend we can't afford to not do something. We can't afford to not uh, live up to our health and safety responsibilities for the members of the public and the people that we employ. Um, so it's going to be you know, a, a, a difficult situation for some marts, especially the smaller ones that are struggling to make money over the next few years. But we're seeing a difference in the country as well. In the north and, and the west of the country, we have predominantly suckler animals coming into the marts. They are much more unpredictable. And the, the level of investment required in those marts is going to be higher than in the south and east where you have dairy bred stock. They don't tend to be as unpredictable. They're easier to manage. Their level of claims actually is much lower than the marts in the west. And maybe Emer's uh, survey ba bears that out. The, the, the marts in the western seaboard are where most of the suckler bred stock are. They unfortunately are the marts that tend to have the larger claims at the moment because of the unpredictability of the animals and the fact that you know we did they didn't have the facilities the overhead walkways that some of the larger centres did down in the south and east. Emer has has Donegal Mart um, have had many claims in the last couple of years and what are you doing on the safety front in terms of bringing okay. in um, managing uh, with walkways or uh, ha cattle handling how are you improving the safety situation in Donegal Mart? Right well um, first of all our last claim would have been in 2012 and that probably led me to where I am at the minute. Um, I argued the claim I felt it shouldn't have been paid the assessor came out they felt it shouldn't it should be fine there was no need to pay it but it ended up it was paid out because it was more cost effective and I totally disagreed with that. So that probably got me here and um, on the chain of the whole insurance. So uh, since that, I haven't had any claims and that was about, I think it was 12 and a half, 13,000. Um, what are we doing health and safety wise? Like, as Ray just said, we're a small mart. We have, um, it's an old building. Couldn't really put in a walkway if we tried. So what we would be trying to do is I'm trying to get the cattle in earlier in the morning. So it's more a case of extra staff um, stopping people going down the yard once the like if we get the cattle in earlier, people don't generally come in until about 11 o'clock to view stock and that. So nobody down the yard after that. Now, we haven't. We have made a start in it there in August time and we're trying to implement it slowly. 
it's it's a work in progress because you know trying to get people to change so um but that's the way i chose to do it um i, I think uh, they are taking their cattle in so generally all the cattle's coming in now between eight and ten o'clock people don't come till ten o'clock so it has reduced the risk a lot. Um, we get the staff now, all animals when they're leaving the premises have to be loaded um, by a member of staff beforehand. You had customers just loading them themselves and that was a major problem. So yeah, a lot of change and probably a lot more staff, which will be a lot more costly. But um, that's the road we've gone now. Um, what are the long-term implications of all these costs building up? Um, as I was explaining right downstairs, I'm very lucky. I started with a separate kind of sideline business as well with the Mart, and only for that we would be in serious trouble. Um, the numbers of suckler cattle going through the Marts now have taken a drastic decline, especially in Donegal, I think down the west coast. So um, I don't, it's, look, nobody likes to say a Mart's going to close, but inevitably you can't keep spending money. There's so many changes like this year, 2019. Uh, January 2019, there's new, um, our new license for the marts have been introduced, like we went through ours um, last week. Um, we put on a new roof a few years ago. You're constantly spending money because the marts are so old. Um, you know, bars break, you know, wear and tear general on old buildings. Um, we put in safety chutes for people to stand into. Um, all these changes have been made. You have your health and safety, GDPR, there's so much money, uh, continual professional development. We had to do a course on that last week or the week before. Um, you're constantly spending money now that um, money that you probably don't have because when your numbers are going down, um, sheep numbers are increasing, but they wouldn't be as profitable, I suppose, as um, as cattle. Um, so I don't know. And, and marts are, to me, marts are vital to the farming community. They're you get, it's competition. That's why they were set up in the first place, was for competition. A mart day in any town, the town's thriving. Uh, the farmers will spend money in the vets and the restaurants and they go to the bank to do all their business on a mart day. So I think it's vitally important that they're sustained. I did, when we were in with the Public Finance Committee, I did ask the government that day, if these changes, and I understand as Ray says, we have to, to protect the public. And there is so many claims and people are claiming now that never did that before. So we had asked that maybe they'd give us some sort of grant or support or funding to make these changes. Um, that Has there been any developments on that? No, not on that. No, not on that side of it. Ray, this is an ongoing issue and you are engaging with the insurance industry on this. Has there been a level of progress? Well, yes, there has. I mean, we're, ICOS National Conference is on tomorrow in, in Kilishi, and we have uh, Pat Griffin from the Health and Safety Authority and Kieran Roach from FBD speaking at it. And we have a workshop dedicated to it. But we, we, it, this has been an ongoing problem for the last three years at, at ICOS committee level um, because we had an event last November 12 months which started the ball rolling on discussions around insurance and health and safety because the levels of our premiums that were increasing then started this discussion. So... The Health and Safety Authority had made it quite clear, indeed, at your uh, uh, venue at the plough match, Pat Griffin publicly stated he was actually going out um, actively auditing marts now for 2019 to actually to make sure that they are up to the required standards. And we have now a code of practice put in, and additionally to his guidance on marts and layerages um, for the supervision of loading and unloading. 
MART staff being clearly identified, prohibition signage being enacted on that people, if people are told they shouldn't be down the pins, that it's actually enforced. So there's lots of extras now coming, as, as, as Emer has indicated there in 2019 as well. As regards the insurance in industry, of course we've interacted with them. FBD is a long-standing insurer of most marts in the country. And they have you know, a 60-year record there uh, with, with marts and with farmers in particular. So we have interacted with them. What can we do to reduce our, our premiums? And the only way we can do that is to reduce our claims. As a sector, an individual mart that have had clean records are still being hit with the marts that are having the problems. So therefore, as a sector, we have to change and move and, and change our, our way of business. We're 60 years in business ourselves, Livestock Mars. Emers rightly pointed out that they're a vital contribution to every county town in the country. But we can't abdicate our responsibilities on insurance and health and safety. And we now have to change as a sector. 14 marts across the, uh, across the West have changed and have enacted a, a measure of, of lockdown and pins and leverages that wasn't there before. And I would think that that is going to spread slowly across the rest of the country over the next few years as being the change that's required to reduce the health safety issues, reduce the premiums, and hopefully uh, make uh, some mart centres more viable in the future. Well, we do have a statement from FPD as well. Um, and a spokesperson for FPD said that they strive to keep premiums as low as possible. And when marts pay the insurance premium, FPD takes the risk. Despite the fact that marts are loss making in that the cost of claims exceeds the premium they take in, FPD continues to insure them. They said the core principle of insurance is that premiums of the many pay for the claims of the few. And this is the principle which FPD stands by in relation to marts. And they said they are striving to bring premiums down while working with ICOS and marts to make sure that safe practices are adhered to. Uh, and they said the claims environment in Ireland at the moment is very challenging and everyone is in, a, in agreement on that. Um, thank you both very much for joining us today. Uh, next up, Chagask, uh, the Chagas Greenacres Dairy Calf to Beef programme was launched in Chagas Grange today and Niall Claffey has this report. Earlier today, the second phase of the Chagas Greenacres Calf to Beef programme was launched in Grange, County Mead by Chagas Director Professor Jerry Boyle. The second phase of the programme will demonstrate profitable dairy calf to beef systems on a whole farm basis through a network of 12 to 14 demonstration farms. This is a really critically important programme for the simple reason that the income levels on beef farms are not satisfactory. I mean, the situation is that the dairy income is roughly twice, three times in fact last year, uh, the beef income. So we, we, what this programme is all about is driving on uh, productivity on farms to increase farmers' income. Now in the last phase, or the first phase of, of the Calf to Beef programme, we saw really good performance income-wise on the participating farms. So we'd expect, on average, the participating farms in the new round will do as well. Like last time, over the three years of the programme, they generated an additional 500 euro per hectare of gross margin, and actually about the same in net margin, which is surprising but it's simply because they were starting out from such a low base in terms of net margin. Now that's on top of then their single farm payment. And that's critical. You're not eating into the single farm payment. So for the participating farms, we expect them to generate significant increases in their income. Agrand has been chosen as the media partner for the second phase of the programme. This is the first digital-only media partnership ever undertaken by Chagas. What's really important about this programme this time round, and with the help of 
Agriland in particular, we're going to be disseminating this to a wider group of farmers. In the first instance, farmers that are involved with Chagas as clients will work with all of those uh, participating farms. There are 12 farms up and down the country that are going to be participating. But each of those will host four times a year, 30 more farmers. So we're going to get the messages out in a very intimate way to about 400 farmers straight off. But then the key will be the wider dissemination of the results through the videos, through the newsletters, through the technical sheets and everything that we'll be producing in a digital format that farmers can pick up on their mobile phones. Um, that's where we hope to have the wider impact. The Green Acres Calf to Beef programme is supported by six industry partners who are funding the programme. We couldn't do this in Chagas without the sponsorship, and like the sponsorship is, is is critical. Like you know, we have we have Drummonds, for example. We have Liffey's, We have MSD Animal Health. We have Volac, and on, on and in addition, we have TP Wheelin, and we have the Munster Cattle Breeding Group, and of course, we have Agriland as media partners. So look, that's critical not only to supply the the, the resources uh, in in term uh, in terms of cash and in kind indeed expertise and so on but it's critical to have the industry involved with with farmers particularly the processors but not only the process all the other varied interests because they all have a role to play in driving incomes on farm and they also have a role to play in understanding the kind of difficulties that farmers are going to face uh, you know in the farming situation like this year is a very good example and it's very good to have those uh, agri industries involved i think for that reason as well Given the growth of the Irish dairy herd and the subsequent Holstein Frisian and Angus calves that are available for beef production, the Grange dairy calf to beef herd is of fundamental importance to the industry. Today, Chagas Nicky Byrne gave an overview of the dairy calf to beef herd in Grange. So it's um, a complete farm system study and within that we're looking at three different animal genotype groups. So we have our Holstein Frisian group, uh, we have two Angus treatments in, both of low and high carcass conformation and, and carcass weight on their, their Eurostar figures. And, and then within the Frisian uh, group, we also have selected, um, you know, for both high and low um, EBI uh, beef sub-index. So we're, you know, looking at the contribution that these animals are going to be run in three independent farmlets. And we're going to look at their, you know, the, the genotype effect on the overall profitability um, of, of the group. And we're also going to have elements of, you know, grassland research, different calf rearing strategies, as well incorporated into this overall system study. Holstein freezing steers will be slaughtered at 24 months of age, while Aberdeen Angus will be finished slightly earlier. All inputs and outputs will be recorded for the systems. The overall is going to be a 24 month steer um, system that we're implementing here. So I suppose to get a complete, a full cycle of it, we're probably, probably going to be two years in. But I suppose we have, you know, nearly one year completed now so far. And, you know, we, we'll be, um, I suppose, in the next y year, we, we'll be able to get some results out there. Um, we should have sufficient data to, to, um, to report back on. We're joined now by Pierce Kelly, the head of dry stock knowledge transfer at Chagask. Pierce, the Dairy Calf to Beef programme has been running since 2015. What is the purpose of the programme? Okay, so the purpose of the programme, Claire, is that everyone knows we've been expanding dairy herds since quotas have gone. That herd is heading for, at this stage, we're told, somewhere in the region of 1.5, 1.6 million dairy cows. Uh, so as that herd expands and probably gets to the level where it's going to probably be at, there's more and more of those dairy cows being bred to beef bulls. Uh, and there's also some dairy male calves, obviously, a significant number of them coming from it. So 
we're heading for really uh, in the next couple of years that you're probably looking at it in excess of a million calves coming from the dairy herd are going to be uh, heading into beef systems. They'll either a certain small proportion of them will be live exported, but the vast majority are going to be kept on Irish beef farms. So Irish beef farmers are going to be buying these calves. They're going to want to know what are the best systems, what are the most profitable systems, what are the key things they need to achieve to make them profitable. So really that's the purpose of this program is to show, uh, as we did in phase one, uh, what are the key things that make these systems profitable and what are the kind of pitfalls to avoid. So phase one ran over the last three years. Um, how did it go? Uh, yeah, it went really well. Gordon Peppard was the dedicated program advisor on phase one program. Gordon had 10 demonstration farms. Uh, they were spread really throughout the country um, and they, they really showed massive improvements in terms of their systems on their farms. Uh, there, was, there was varying levels of performance when Gordon would have started on them. Some of them were only starting out in calf to beef. It was a new enterprise on their farm. Some were already well established dairy calf to beef farms, but they all would have learned through the three years of the program what the key things that were important to improve their profitability. And we would have seen significant increases in the profitability of those farms in the three years when they hit the kind of four or five key performance indicators that are needed for calf to beef systems to be profitable. So where did you see the main improvements, say on the animal health side yes, or grassland yeah, management side? Yeah. So really, if you start at the calf stage, is really where it all starts. And even the calf purchase stage, you know, they, they, as the program went on, the farmers would have uh, would have put more emphasis on the type of calves that they were buying, the time of the year they were buying the calves, that they were buying them closer together and earlier so that they had them uh, earlier in the year so that they were stronger going to, to grass. Calf rearing was a huge area. Um, and within calf rearing, then, you know, you have the whole around milk replacer, vaccinations was a big area. A lot of the farms weren't vaccinating calves at the start of the program. By the end of the program, they were vaccinating and they would have seen massive improvements in terms of calf health throughout the three years of the program. And then as you move into the calves, going out to grass, grassland management, paddock grazing, a lot of the farms wouldn't have had a rotational grazing system. Some of them would and they would have improved on it, but others had, had little or no rotational grazing system, put in paddocks, water systems, um, access into paddocks. Uh, soil fertility was a big area. We soil tested all the farms at the start of the program. Saw where they were short in NP or P and K and lime status. Uh, and then, you know, they would have worked on improving that. So, so what we saw throughout the three years of the program really was through improving grassland management, improving health, uh, improving calf rearing, uh, that output significantly increased on those farms. So output per livestock unit, which is say output per calf, but they also massively improved in terms of the number of calves they were rearing. You know, some of them would have gone from rearing maybe 50, 60 calves to well in excess of 100 calves and had the grass to do that and had the silage to do that. So output on the farm. And, and that's really the big thing about calf to beef systems. Like a lot of beef systems, a lot of it is down to output, physical output. The higher the physical output you can have, albeit with true grass and, and silage and keeping costs to, at a control level that that increased, significantly increased the profitability across all 10 of the farms. And was there financial targets for phase one and did the demonstration farms yeah. hit those targets? There was. So we set out at the start of the programme uh, where we said, listen, uh, we did profit monitors in 2014 on those farms um, and they came in at a, 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 basically a break-even net margin, which is not uncommon as we know on beef farms that when you don't have single, when you don't include direct payments, a lot of farms are uh, breaking even the profit is in the single farm payment. So I think they were coming in at something like minus 40 euro per hectare under their, the systems that they had under their farms in 2014. Uh, by we, we set a target of 500 euro net margin per hectare, not including any direct payments. 
and uh, the average of the 10 farms by 2017 was 475 euro per hectare which which is a significant amount because the average farm size actually there was 66 hectares so when you when you multiply 66 by 475 you know it's coming in in 33 34000 euro net margin where they were making a net margin of break even zero uh, now within that 10 some of them would have been coming from maybe minus two, minus three, minus 400 euro net margin, and they came up to over, they didn't all get to 500, but there was others who got up to eight, 900 euro net margin per hectare within that program. Some very impressive results there. And what have you learned from phase one of the program, Pierce, and what do you hope to make improvements on then in, yeah. in phase two? So I suppose what we learned from phase one is that, you know, when you work with farmers like this, uh, and you work on improving soil fertility, calf rearing, calf health, overall health, um, grassland managing, paddock grazing, that, that, and you increase output. There is profit in these systems, uh, so long as you're not paying too much for calves. And, and that was another thing too, you know, there's, there's a price that needs to be paid for calves because the beef price at the end of the day, has to, the calf price has to be reflective of what the ultimate beef price is. So we would have worked on them and that as well. So, so it's not that you can just pay any price for calves. Uh, but what we found was that if you do that, there is, when things are done well, there is profit per hectare to be made in calf to beef systems, as there is in all beef systems, to be fair. Uh, and but it's to show that within the calf beef systems there is. What we want to learn, what we learned from that in terms of what we're going to the difference between phase one and phase two is uh, we had Gordon Pepper, as I was saying in the first program. Gordon worked with 10 farms. Uh, we actually, because of the success of the first program, we're now moving into a second program where we've uh, six uh, sponsors of the program and Dissemination of information is the big thing. Disseminating the information we're learning from these farms out to a lot more farms is our big objective uh, with phase two. And we're happy to, to help out. Yeah, and AgriLand is a big part of that, you know, and, and the whole digital media side is a big part of that in terms of getting the message out through videos, through uh, web pages, through your, your own portal and that, you know, that, that's a big part of it. And, and using again the sponsors of the program and just to say who the sponsors may be, well, of the program, you know, we've we've uh, Volac, MSD Animal Health, TP Wheeling, Drummonds, Munster AI, um, and uh, it's, um, the sixth one is um, uh, Liffey Mills. So that's the the six. So and through their uh, involvement with the industry as well, we're going to work with the technical people within those pro within those industries too to get the information out as well out onto farms. So a big part of phase two will be about disseminating information out onto farms from these farms. We did a, a good bit of that in phase one uh, through farm walks and through media articles, but phase two, we're going to really ramp that up. And in terms of phase two, do you have, have you identified the farms that will be involved okay. and um, how many farmers? Yeah, so we're looking for 12 to 14 farmers this time, uh, slightly increasing it on it. Uh, but no, we're actually in the process at the moment. So there's an opportunity for people now who want to become a demonstration farm for the new calf to beef program, the new Green Acres program, to become a demonstration farm. We're in the next couple of weeks, we're identifying those farms. We're visiting farms at the moment of people who would be interested in joining the program. Uh, the Green Acres team uh, are visiting them. And we're going to make a decision in the next couple of weeks who the new 12 to 14 farms are. And how can people get in touch? Yeah, really, probably the simplest way, clear to get in touch is to contact our local Chagas advisor. They're well aware of what the program is. They're they're keen to get people within their area that might be a demonstration farm because it's good for an area to have a demonstration farm for people to visit and that. So talk to our local Chagas advisor. By 2021, what do you hope to achieve? Yeah, so again, what we'll be hoping to achieve with these is 
probably the same really net margin again that you know these farms will be up four or five hundred euro net margin per hectare uh, higher if we can uh, that we'll have a lot more information got on these farms that we'll have a lot more information available to the wider farming public in terms of what's happening on these farms uh, through yourselves through farm walks as well through technical notes through fact sheets and that uh, and just a lot more awareness of what are the key things on dairy calf to beef farms that need to be got right if they're to be profitable because really and to what are the areas just as important as the, the pitfalls to avoid uh, as well what those key areas are we'll leave it there Pierce. thank you very much for joining us and there will be lots more coverage on the program um, over the, the coming months and years and thanks very much to all our guests for joining us this week and to our sponsors homeland if you want to get in touch with the farmland or agriland teams you can call or email us or reach out to us on social media thank you for watching and we'll see you next week